whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hello again everyone, my name is Andy and welcome to episode 3 already of That UFO Podcast. Thanks again to everyone who's listened, streamed or downloaded the show. Please don't forget if you're liking the show, please subscribe on whatever platform it is that you're listening to the show on. If you're enjoying and want to hear more, then please make sure you also leave a review on the show again on whichever platform you're listening to. Once I've hit 20 reviews, I do plan on giving away a hoodie or a t-shirt with the podcast logo on it, and I will ship that anywhere in the world. I'm not precious. Just drop me a message to see I've left the review, what your username was as well or on the platform. Times are hard just now for everyone, so only if you can, I've got a request. You can support the show from as little as one dollar now on Patreon at That UFO Podcast. It goes towards the running costs of the show, keeps things minimal for myself. Or if you just want to say thanks and can throw me another dollar or two, then you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoff.ee forward slash That UFO Podcast. And all those links are on the bio as well on the Twitter feed. But listen, at the end of the day, just listening to the show giving me the feedback and having a chat with us on Twitter is as much as I can ask of anyone. So thank you very much. I'm having a great time doing this so far. And the guests uh, and all you guys and girls out there listening have been incredible as well. It's been great getting so many new followers on Twitter. My phone has been going mental through the night being based in the UK with so many folk from around the world in different time zones adding and requesting and sending messages through the night. Please keep that coming. I want to follow on and read a message from one of you who got in touch to the show basically with an encounter that they had that I think you'll find really interesting. I won't say who it was and if they want to come out themselves on Twitter for any questions then let get in touch and I'm sure they won't mind having a chat about it but I'll keep it anonymous for now. My father was a Lancaster pilot during World War II. He told me of lights that used to fly along with the bomber flight during some raids. The whole flight would see them. If they tried to catch up with them the lights would move behind them and trail them. He said it wasn't St Elmo's fire or any natural phenomenon. He tried reporting it and was told it was Venus or Jupiter. Now where have we heard that before? Apart from the fact he was a trained navigator as well as a highly trained pilot, he countered that if it was a planet, that when the light or Venus swung behind them, that must mean the whole flight had turned 180 degrees and were heading in the wrong direction to carry out the raid. Anyway, that was what the officials wanted the story to be. So that's pretty amazing. That was uh, an incident that their their father had had, but they themselves uh, worked for the MOD uh, as a civilian back in 1996 and had another incident and encounter themselves so I thought I'd share this one with you too. So around 1996 I had to do some work at an MOD base in the southwest of England. I met my point of contact and sat down for a cuppa, cup of tea for our uh, foreign listeners. The guy wasn't that chat, wasn't the chatty sort and conversation soon ran out. I was sitting with my back to a window and I leaned my chair back and looked upwards out the window. There was a greyish dish high in the sky It wasn't moving in relation to the window frame, 
and we both went out to get a better look. There was a clear sky with high cirrus clouds in the sky, and the object was sitting above that. We could see the slow movement of the cloud underneath it. We watched for a good 10 minutes to try to gauge the size. I would cover it with my little fingernail at arm's length. I thought this with a little bit of geometry would help me get the size. Uh, and it goes on to describe some of the, the heights that cirrus clouds are normally seen at. It was hard, though, to work out a, a possible size. There was no phone cameras back then, so no photographic evidence. He asked the point of contact that they wanted to report it, and the reply was, expletive, no. They were military, so perhaps he wasn't keen on that for a reason. They had to go to a meeting uh, as it was getting quite late, and when they did see their commanding officer, it was mentioned. But again, there was no interest in the story. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. I've had a few things from people and I appreciate you letting me tell those stories, particularly relevant for the episode that we're going to be hearing about now. This is someone from the UK that is my guest this evening and I'll give them an introduction in just a minute. They've got some stories straight off the bat from their family and from them as children and then growing up in an adult life. Some fascinating experiences, some incredible expertise you're going to hear as well. I really do think you're going to enjoy this show. If the guest isn't someone you've heard of before, you'll certainly want to get in touch and follow them from now on. So at this time, I'd like to welcome my guest, uh, the third guest on that UFO podcast. He has time served at former RAF and British Aerospace Airbus Division. He has expertise in modern civilian and military worldwide aircraft and armaments recognition and vision. Visualization. I'm glad I got through that. Uh, someone who has for more than a decade contributed to the field of ufology by analysing thousands of images and videos to lend credibility to the best evidence out there. Importantly, he's the author of two excellent books on the subject, UFO Photo and The Ufology Umbrella, which will be discussed on the show tonight. I'd like to welcome Jason Gleaves to the show. Uh, Jason, how are you doing? Hi there, Andrew. Thanks for the invite. Uh, absolute pleasure. Uh, I'd mentioned just before we started recording, Jason, that I heard what I believe your first ever interview on radio or any kind of podcast was March 2018 on Howard Hughes, The Unexplained Show. Is that right? Yeah, that was. Um, yeah, it seems so long ago now. Um, and like I said to you earlier on, um, I was on his show last night as well. It just so happens um, actually giving an analysis on um, a UFO sighting in Bogota. Amazing, that's something I'll look forward to listening to. I listen to Howard Hughes, a little bit of a, an idol in the, the podcasting and radio world of mine. And if anyone's not listened to that, I definitely re recommend checking it out. Jason's got two appearances on there back in March 2018. And then one, it must be around about October, September, October last year as well, discussing his books. So, yeah, definitely check that out. And obviously, Jason's just telling us there he's got an appearance coming up as well. So that's brilliant. So, Jason, that first time I heard you talking on the radio, um, what I loved was your honesty and how you approach the subject very objectively. For all the kind of fascinating aspects of this subject, and we can talk about all sorts of out there things, there was a really grounded conversation with the background and expertise that you have. And that's what really kind of attracted me to jumping out and buying that first book, UFO Photo, um, on, on Amazon, where it's available. So what was it that brought you to the subject of UFOs? Well, I suppose it goes back to my childhood, a bit like most people. Um, I've always had a, a, an interest in ufology, you know, from 
a young age. Um, and then, you know, I used to watch Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World. It was a great TV show that was, you know, and they used to get the mind going, all the different things he used to investigate and research and especially UFOs. Um, and and I, I had a, an encounter, um, a sighting with my sister when I was age seven years old in Liverpool. Um, and we both, um, I was seven, my sister was eight. And we were playing uh, in a relative's house in Aintree in Liverpool, home with the Grand National and everything people probably know about. And um, we were playing upstairs and we both saw this disc-shaped object appear outside the window. It was there for some time. I can't remember how long exactly. Um, and then this thing just took off at high velocity. Um, and then we carried on playing like nothing had happened at all. Um, which was strange and, and I'd actually forgotten about it till I only a few years back when I started getting into the ufology in more depth again deeper again I should say than what I have been and my sister reminded me of the incident and saying oh didn't didn't you actually remember seeing that disc-shaped craft uh, you know outside the window and, I, and I'd just completely forgotten about it so um Suppose thing one one thing led on from another, and then right through um, through my civilian uh, into my military career, and I suppose that leads up to uh, the sighting or the incident that happened at RAF Cosford during March 1993, when um, a huge disc uh, uh, triangular shaped craft came down over the airbase. Um, it was it's on the internet for everybody to see and read up on them. I did actually write about it, the incident in more in depth in the, in the first book, UFO photo. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, long story short, it had been seen throughout the UK that night or an object of similar description was seen. Um, and it's it seen by on duty policemen and other civilians, but it came over the base there was a young airman that was on the um, the uh, airfield guard post, which is there to this day. You can drive right past it, and the, the crash gate in front, or straight onto where the airfield is. And he was there on his own. In those days, it was just a singular guard. It was, you did so many hours, and then you were relieved. Somebody else took over. And he radioed down the, 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 the radio to the guard room uh, in distress, shouting for the guard commander to come out to the airfield because something was over the airfield. Um, so, as instructed, the, the guard commander got the rest of the troops into the Land Rovers and Sherpa vans and got out there with the RAF police. Um, and they all saw this huge black triangular-shaped craft that was over the airfield. And after they'd seen it, I can't remember how long it was, it was over the airfield itself. It took off to another nearby RAF base, RAF Shawbury. Um, And it was witnessed coming into there by the on-duty air traffic controller, who actually got radar lock on it, I think, coming in, and saw actual, like, uh, pencil thin lasers coming down out of the object towards the ground um, the, the, uh, the air traffic controller his 
the the impression they got was that it was actually looking for something. That was that what they got there anyway. Um, and yeah, so things have happened through my life on and off with weird and wonderful experiences and things. And, and that's really how I sort of got into it and then led into the, the ufology side where I set up the um, UF only, which is on Facebook. I also write for the Outer Limits magazine every month through Chris Evers and the others uh, wonderful um, uh, conferences every year. Um, and then I've started to do talks for things I've done a lot for the Eseti Ranch in uh, in the US near Mount Adams through for uh, James Gilliland and Peter mm-hmm. Maxwell Slattery. He's uh, also um, really over the side of Eseti in Australia. You've also got an Eseti which is in Japan. Uh, I think that's Greg Sullivan who runs that one. But um, yeah, and I, I generally got into wanting to know what was actually happening in ufology basically for myself really you know to be selfish about it really i was really i needed the answers for myself because i call it the richard dreyfus syndrome um Hmm. you know the the guy off close encounters who the film the hollywood film where he, he he literally it goes in a frenzy when he has the sighting and, and you just want to know more information and you can't get enough. You know, you watch, you're reading books on UFOs, magazines, you're watching films, documentaries. And basically that, that was, that was my road. That was my journey, you know, to get to that where I am now sort of thing. And everything just seems to lead on to something else. And then I set up the YouTube channel because obviously I needed to analyze um, images and, and footage. And then people started contacting me from all over the world with images of UFOs and um, photographs of beings, yeah, and incidents and experience that happened to them. Obviously, people approach me and ask, um, you know, for me to analyze their images, but you know, not everything's a UFO. You know, people do see normal, mundane objects and, you know, weather phenomena and things like that. You know, birds and aircraft, drones, you know, there are things that are misidentified as UFOs. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and then really it sort of led on through um, Philip Mantle, um i've always read philip Man- philip mantle's been around a long time you know fellow ufologists you know very experienced a lot of people lead to him you know and i wanted to write a book i wanted to put what i actually do out into a book the ufo photo so he helped me with that along the way because i've never wrote a book before um and he helped me, you know, how to set it up. And then I got the actual cases. And then I wanted to explain how I analyze. And then uh, or the electromagnetic spectrum, you know, where, you know, we can only see any certain things in certain, you know, um, visible spectrums of light. You know, you've got radio waves and microwaves and infrared, you know, and then ultraviolet and X-rays and gamma rays, etc. But human beings, you know, we we can only see in a very um, 
a, a very narrow window of that uh, electromagnetic spectrum. And that's where UFOs are generally seen outside of that spectrum that we can see because people say, well, if they sent me a, a photograph of a UFO and they say, well, when I took the photograph, it was probably of a nice, beautiful scene, you know, uh, mountains, whatever, seaside, wherever they were. And they said uh, when they took the photograph, there was no object in it. There was no UFO there. But later when they viewed the photograph, there was a UFO and they didn't see it at the time. So obviously the camera equipment has picked this up on a different frequency that the human eye can't see. And I do believe a lot of UFOs and, and the way things are all working within sightings of UFOs, it's all to do with frequency. Absolutely, and I think some of the things I've watched recently on Facebook, Twitter, uh, on YouTube, uh, including your channel as well, some of the commentary when people are looking at these things through their camera phones, when the the zoom is getting so much better, the quality is getting so much better, everyone's still got that shake because of the experience they're going through, but they're they're actually saying on these uh, recordings and the footage that I can't see it with my eyes, but I can see it on the phone still. So like you say, there's, there's that possibility it's slipping in and out of some kind of spectrum you've mentioned a lot there jason can i just take you to back to something you mentioned earlier and that's how young you were when you had that first experience i believe you write about it in your second book um, but it's something i've heard you discuss your own father had an experience with a man in black when he was really young as well didn't he yeah he did yeah um again my my, my father's ex-military um like myself he was in the army um he was um he got to, to go all over the place, you know, and um, he was there when the uh, Checkpoint Charlie in Berlin, you know, he's done all kinds of things. And he was quite a private man in respect to this type of thing, uh, ufology, I should say. And it was just one day I was sat there with him at home uh, in his house um, and he just came out with the story. He said when he was a young child in Liverpool, um he said he was playing in the in the in the hallway as he used to do, where my grandparents were in the other room in the in the front room. They didn't have a television then, so it was during the 1950s. So they they had a radio playing, and he would entertain himself. You know, the the front door was locked up for the evening, everywhere. You know, and they were listening to the radio, and he was running in from the living room into the hallway and back. And he said on this occasion, he ran into the hallway. And at the end of the hallway, you can see um, an illustration I did for the book because that was exactly what he described he saw to me. And he said, as he ran into the hallway, uh, he saw a tall, dark figure basically manifest itself through the front door. And, you know, the front door was all locked up for the evening with all the locks and bolts on it, etc., and he said this being came through the door, stood at the door. Uh, he had like a appeared to have like a dark suit on with like a trilby type hat. And he beckoned my father to to follow him up the stairs, which was nearby. And they said, of course, he didn't do. He he panicked, didn't about turn and ran back into the front room to then tell my grandparents what he'd seen, and they just poo pooed it, which I think a lot of people do actually you know mm. 
poo-poo these things with young children. You know, they're probably just seeing things or imaginary things. And then he said he went back into the hall nervously again, and obviously this figure had gone. But um, when I actually came up with the illustration, like I said, that's in the book, when my father saw the illustration, he, he sort of went cold and quiet, and he said, that's exactly what I saw that night, you know. And so, um, yeah, I thought it needed to really go in there because that was to do with a close encounter of some kind. And, um, yeah, yeah, I thought it warranted to, to be in the book. No, absolutely. And I think it, it ties in with that that notion or idea that there's a connection between families and generations and that perhaps some of these sightings aren't as accidental as, as they appear and that there's something to that. That's something I discussed with Sean Cahill quite recently as well uh, and Gary Voorhees also, you know, about quantum physics and the more we're, we're mining down like the molecular data and people that we are just data and is there something pre-planned that it's picked out already so it's really interesting that your father's had that experience so young and then you've had that experience with you and your sister which is then kind of as you say it's funny how things lead into another and here you are involved in the field of ufology as well so you've talked there a lot about your motivation and we've started talking about the first book anyway so just a couple of questions on that like i say the first book was published in 2018 as ufo photo and that's a book of analysis of unidentified images from around the world so we kind of know your motivation from what you're saying thinking back and i know it has been a few years now since you've started putting the book together it's, it's no doubt been a labor of love there's a lot of great content in there was there anything that really stood out during your research that you enjoyed or that you really get fascinated by and you wanted to know more about? Well, the, the whole thing, really, I wanted to know more about. Like I said, the Richard Dreyfus syndrome, I wanted to roll my sleeves up and just get in there deeper and deeper. Um, and, you know, it, it just I, I find generally when I start researching into something, you know, one door will close, but another five doors will open, you know, and, and really that's where ufology is. It's on so many levels, you know, you can you can go into and sort of put your expertise into one field within the whole ufology, you know, umbrella, because that's how I came up with the the name for the second book, the the ufology umbrella, because that's the way I see it. I see ufology as a huge umbrella and everything cascades off into different directions of multiple different categories. You know, you can get into craft beings and me, you know, you've got uh, visual analysis and things like that. And I, I wanted to really get into some of the old cases that I've been brought up to, to actually read about and and to look at and I wanted to know for myself you know with technology coming on leaps and bounds since then you get the chance to look at some of these photographs um, and it really sort of brings out the detail of what you didn't actually see before you know or you could actually you know debunk the case as such that you know it it doesn't exist or didn't exist the way it was put across um and i think probably one of the better cases i think that i actually analyzed and went into was probably the 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 battle over los angeles during 1942 and i'm sure most people have seen that photograph you know it's pretty amazing you can see the searchlights 
over a huge object which is illuminated over Los Angeles, you know, and thousands of people saw that craft that night. And to this day, they still don't know what that craft was. Um, it was there all night. They fired artillery shells at this thing, didn't bring it down. Um, and at the time, the U.S. had literally only been in the war, the Second World War, by three months. So they thought at the time they were being attacked by the either the Japanese or the German Luftwaffe. Um this huge object anyway came in but like i said i wanted to get back into these cases and see for myself what that object actually is or was um and when i analyzed the the best original photograph i could get hold of because obviously over time when an image is copied or sent via email and you know they all degrade over time and become less you know the detail is harder to to bring things out of but as you can see in the book there's photographs of the object there which are highlighted now that have never ever been seen before you know i've managed to bring out actually what the object looked like and it's still looking at it it's nothing that we've got it's not a conventional aircraft it's not a wartime aircraft you know a military aircraft that used at the time it's not a balloon a barrage balloon so you know it's definitely that case is probably one of the classic unidentified case cases you know and it still is to this day absolutely and and you're right and i think one of the great things about this book is if you're new to ufology or you're picking it up in a library or you're picking it up in a friend's house you can have a skim through see some incredible pictures and you can read the blurbs but if you've got that real fascination and interest and you're really entrenched in ufology there's a lot to it and like you say i I haven't seen the image as clear as that what i've seen is that really grainy black and white hard to see photograph that doesn't give you much detail and even yeah. even the original you've put in there, Jason, gives you so much more clarity. And then you break it down, and I'm looking at it just now, the actual detail that you pick out for the potential craft that's within that image is incredible. Uh, so how you've done that is is expertise well beyond my knowledge. But it's that's the sort of effort and, and expertise that goes into making a book like this, which makes it that much more fascinating. That's a case that most people interested in ufology will know. But I think there's going to be a lot of people will be surprised there at the detail that they're going to see that they've never seen before. So absolutely. One that I found really interesting was the Austin Kino, Russia, 1995. Uh, And it's a picture of what looks like a disc landing on a roadside in Russia. That was, I believe, the footage was sent in from a a news team um, to the source. And it shows a craft landing in stages. You, You put in the book that there's potential video footage of this that which just isn't accessible but for me that was a pretty interesting piece of the book as well that that was what i'd kind of picked out myself yeah yeah um well it, it's a sequence of images and it was taken at the time you know in russia with during 1995 um and again that i'm sure that there is actual footage out there i don't think i could find it at the time um, I might actually go back into that case and see if I can actually still retrieve it, you know. Um, but I actually got the frames that were taken from the video footage, and you can actually see the sequence. And this is, a, a, again, 
it's it's your classic UFO, but these it's more than two guys because obviously there's somebody taking the photographs and there are two people there actually uh, watching this craft land. Um, but again, the thing about this um, case is when I analyse the photograph, you can actually see the shape, the actual uh, shape of the, the, the craft that landed. And again, it's not military civilian and it doesn't look anything like any sort of aircraft or known aircraft that we have or had at the time. Um, yeah, it, it just goes down again, really, as an unidentified case. Yeah, and there's a lot of great cases like that. So that's the first book, uh, UFO Photo. If you have not got it and you've not seen it or you've thought about buying it before, do you know what? During a lockdown when we don't have much else to do, now is the perfect time to be delivering, uh, getting that delivered from your Amazon driver and thanking them as well. Definitely worth picking up for, for the ufologists out there. Your second book then, you, you touched on the title, The Ufology Umbrella, and it certainly does bring a lot of subjects under one roof within that book as well. That, that talks you through the, the various different types of uh, close encounter from C1 to C7. There's other theories within there as well. You talk about potential ways of travel, jumping through hyperspace, just the theories on that. Again, there's nothing fantastical. It's all very much grounded, uh, makes sense. There's no wild claims in there. And then you discuss a lot of really interesting, fascinating incidents as well. So what was it that made this the logical follow-up to the UFO photo? Well, like you say, the logical follow-up. The first one was the the image analysis. And it was a basic, not, not necessarily a basic DIY approach to ufology where somebody could pick the book up and actually go down the road of, um uh, analyzing images for themselves you know it gives them a way of doing it a way of actually using photoshop you know photoshop is only used to enhance the photographs it's not used to change in any way the image it's just used there to to, to bring out the different filters um and and the second book really followed on because obviously when that book was out the first book it was all to do with the images and and the videos and more and more people were coming asking me more questions which i could ask to the best way i could you know but if i didn't know i certainly knew plenty of people within the community ufo community that i could actually point them in the right direction or help them with you know um, and, and the second book really was just going over the different categories of close encounters, you know, from sightings to abductions to the animal mutilations to, you know, even down to the point where ETs have caused death to um, humans. And I say that with a bit of um, not tongue in cheek as such, but um, it's just the fact that retrieved craft certain retrieved craft have been found um with human body parts in so we don't know whether they were actually killed or you know some sort of experiment we don't we don't know that so a bit of speculation really um and obviously you go down the side of um artificial insemination so you know the the breeding and the clones and that side of it and um so, yeah, you know, it, it basically it's breaking down the seven separate categories of close encounter where, you know, even 
and I had to go in and find it out for myself. So I wanted somebody they could pick this book up as well and maybe go on to the next chapter or few chapters within ufology, you know, part of their own journey, really. Uh, absolutely. And I just want to pick up on something I'd heard in one of your previous interviews. Um, so taking you back to that Howard Hughes interview from eight months ago, Howard mentions at the time, uh, and he's a bit vague on the details, but I think it was pretty spurious. However, more details are now out about an Italian helicopter that was potentially shot down. And at the time, you say yourself that you weren't too sure on the case. What Howard was talking about was going to be the case that's now brought up in the Unidentified History documentary series with Tom DeLong and Lou Elizondo. Is that something you've watched yourself? Yeah, yeah, the uh, To The Stars Academy. So you've got uh, Tom DeLong and... Um uh you know all the gang are coming up with the disclosure of you know um it's the nimitz isn't it and the um yeah. tic tac ufo sightings and it actually this week just gone it's actually been put out now by the media channels that it's official that those are actually, you know, unidentified craft and that the US have been interacting and they don't know what that is, that footage is. And, um, yeah, so it, this, this, this over the last week or so, that's really taken the next step up. It has, and I'm going to come on to that just in a few moments after I discuss it, the last part of your, your second book. But it was just on that, that Close Encounters of the Sixth Kind, where you, you were saying about injury and death, having a bit of speculation, but high-ranking military officials sit around the table and on camera uh, show footage of an unidentified craft interacting with a helicopter that was overseeing wildfires in the area. And they claim that this craft shot it down using a, a beam that was sent out via a signal that they have managed to decode. Uh, so again, you, you say that it's one of those things that the books almost get even more credence and more relevance again since it's been released that you've got governments now coming out and saying that we have evidence that these things have interacted with our our personnel with our craft and potentially could cause or have caused injury and you say that aspect of death we're not sure that is where there's rumor and has there been limbs discovered on board and whatnot but again it's, it's more and more relevant and like we're going to talk about in a little while to the stars have definitely taken that conversation forward and into that mainstream media and again books like yours are definitely something people should be picking up Something I really enjoyed in, in your second book, and this was taking me back to my childhood and one of my first interests in, in the mysterious uh, things in the world, is talking about Tutankhamun's dagger, how it was it was discovered, the, the tomb of Tutankhamun by Howard Carter. Analysis of the dagger shows that it was partly made up of meteorite as well. Is that something you think just, uh, I suppose you're going to have to speculate, but is coincidental? Is there more to that, do you think? I think there is more to it. Um, you can obviously look into the minerals and, and the, you know, the elements of what it was. And, you know, when they've analysed the dagger that was found on the chest of King, King Tut um, in his tomb by Howard Carter, um, yeah, it's they, they obviously, the Egyptians at the time obviously knew more than we actually know that they've got to of you know and things are actually coming out more and more you know you know even down to uh, a few years back i was very privileged to uh through steve merry invited me to go down to the baftas in london when eric van daniken had his uh, 50th anniversary 
um, uh, talk down in the BAFTAs. Um, and he came out at the time with new information, which was just about to be released where they found the, the lake under the, the, the huge uh, uh, pyramid in Egypt, in Giza. Um, and again, it's more and more things as, that we don't know about that I'm sure that the, the powers that be do know about. Um, and with disclosure coming, people say disclosure coming, but disclosure is already here. You know, you know, people have been having interactions with UFOs, etc., and you know, abductions. You know, and not not necessarily just abductions. You know, because that sounds negative. Um, you know, interactions with ETs. And yeah. again, you've only got to look at the some of the material that I get sent by. Uh, Peter Slattery and um, James Gilliland and other people that have been to the SETI ranch. You know, I've got photographs of manifesting orbs that are actually manifesting themselves into humanoid shapes. You know, they're floating in the air, these orbs. And they are, you know, you could see for yourself, you know, that these are actual beings. You know, I've had Peter woke up one morning, the end of his bed, and the photographs are there for everyone to see. I you know, advise everyone to go onto their sites, ESETI.org, and, and look for yourself. There's image analysis that I've done for them. There's footage analysis um, as well. And the, there was one where he had an interaction with a being at the end of his bed, and it manifested itself, and it's there. You can see the shape of the lady. Uh, Guan Yin, I think her name was, um, the, the being that interacted now, I'm not saying to anybody you have to believe anything or everything that I say or do or write. You know, I've always said to everybody, go out there and do the research for yourself because, you know, it's it's there for everybody to find. Everyone can find this stuff. It's not hidden that well, you know, that you can't find things. And you'll generally find that your journey will take you all over the place. So you're talking about some amazing photographs there, amazing experiences that, that have been caught on camera. When you talk about these orbs and, and manifesting into the shapes of beings or, or becoming beings themselves, do you think these orbs, whether they're Iseti Ranch and we look at places like Skinwalker Ranch, are these a, a means of travel, do you think, or a means of teleportation? Or do you think the orbs and the beings aren't necessarily separate entities and as part of a different consciousness because that's something you kind of touch on within the books as well that are some of these entities or beings a, diff a different realm of consciousness or human evolution yeah definitely I, I think it's all linked in one way or another through the the frequencies and as well that a lot of these things are multi-dimensional i mean only you only have to go back and look at the photographs you know that i analyze and 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 people will only believe that there's something there they can actually see the object you know they're not the nuts and bolts right in front of them really you know you've got to think outside the box you know further again that you know these things are probably multi-dimensional in essence you know and and again it's to do with consciousness if you're ready to be opened up to these sites of things you know are you ready in, in the human form to to accept these multi-dimensional beings you know and whatever they're going to teach you you know are you on a certain level and again 
I've said this before, you know, I, I try to go to as many conferences and talks as I can. Um, and you can go back a few years and the caliber of person has changed now that, you know, actually people actually turn up and listen to these talks and they want to know the information by all the different people, you know, who are giving their, their presentations and they want to know about the craft, the beings, experiences. And it, you just get, you know, it, it's amazing, really, the people that you can meet at these places. I was due to attend the Awakening Expo in Manchester. Uh, I believe it would have been June or July of this year. But with the COVID-19 situation, that was that was cancelled and that would have been my first expo to attend. So hopefully hopefully the next one that comes along, I can get, get involved in and get down there. Because like you say, the subject has evolved and the people that are there, that, that stereotypical character that may have attended in the past, whereas whether they were talking or whether they were paying for a ticket, I think has definitely changed and that's changed for the better as well. Can I just ask, when you talk about all the different types of footage you've seen, all the analysis you've done, the images, is there any one really good image or piece of video you would point to if, if you had to do a PowerPoint on what you would say is the best thing you've seen? Is that almost a smoking yeah. gun type type thing? What would it be? Well, yeah, definitely. You know, you say <laughs> that you can say about this, the smoking gun image, what is actually the most spectacular image or footage that you've seen but you know it, it sort of to do with the smoke smoking gun analysis that you only have to look at the shells on the spent shells on the floor that's where your ufo photos and everything are but if i have to put my finger on one that i would actually say is my best or favorite to to analyze or ha i have analyzed it's the argentinian pilot um footage where i actually found the the footage through the pilot it was an older guy an argentinian civilian pilot um when i was um uh researching the first book ufo photo and you can actually see the images in there where it it really doesn't give it full credence if you could actually go onto my ufo only um youtube channel you can see the full footage there um and basically he was he's actually seen ufos throughout his career flying and he never took a camera or anything with him and this time he had his camera phone on him but back in 2014 the cameras on the phones were not exactly like we've got today you know the, mm. the 4, 4k and really good um resolution yeah. but you know it's not bad footage and he's basically you can see he's, he's flying he saw the two objects approaching from his left hand side out of the the window he was flying forwards you can see the propeller going round the front of through the the front canopy you can see the the cloud base he's he's flying about five to ten thousand feet so he's he's actually flying through a you know a cloud base quite clear day and you can see really clearly you see a large disc-shaped, elliptical-shaped object fly directly in front of his aircraft, and then it's followed directly by a smaller aircraft or object. Um, these two 
apparently go to the right hand side he's still flying his aircraft forwards they go into a tight formation into a figure of eight to his right and then they come back in the formation and buzz his aircraft right in front of him again um and like i've said before with this footage i've used it in my talk i've also um i think it was last year i'm on the first episode of the second series of paranormal caught on camera where they explain the footage they used it in this show um and you can see it's if you want to call it the smoking gun footage it, it certainly is for me i've analyzed it i've analyzed the objects and you can see this huge cylindrical shaped object and the smaller even if it was an accident by a civilian pilot or another military pilot in another aircraft flying in front of the civilian pilot, Argentinian pilot, they wouldn't do it twice. They wouldn't pass him once and then come back again. Mm -hmm. Um, So where they, they were obviously wanting to be seen, whether they were extraterrestrial or a secret covert project, we don't know. But they certainly weren't anything that was known in, you know, anyone's arsenal at the time. So, um, yeah, if I have to put my finger on a certain piece of footage, I'd probably say that one. What I'll do is I'll make sure when this is released that I'll post that on the Twitter account as well, so people can people can see what we're talking about in this part of the show. So, yeah, that's that sounds pretty incredible. I've seen the pictures, but I'll go and check that out myself. That the probably fo- moves the fo- footage is, is so much better the footage gives it the you can see for yourself than the, the pictures yeah than the pictures yeah awesome that that probably moves us on nicely to to talk to more recent events now i was going to say that we've touched on to the stars academy and we talked about disclosure and it's it's not going to be that ufo on the white house lawn it's a process and i agree that the process has started so disclosure is here it's happening if it's happening at the pace it's frustrating people that's just unfortunate but this seems to be the way it's going to be but it is it's definitely moving in the right direction and like you touched on yourself jason the the u.s government has now confirmed the department of defense that the videos the u.s navy had previously confirmed as being identified that previously two of the stars had I don't want to say released because there's a lot of debate as to whether two of the stars did release and the ownership of the videos but mm. what they have done is thrust the conversation into the mainstream and got these rather official classified videos out there for us all to see so the Flair, Gimbal and Go Fast videos as they're more commonly known have, or I'm guessing you have seen these videos, what's your thoughts on, on the videos for a start? Um, when they first came out I'd actually seen one of the pieces of footage was actually released in, I think it was before 2014, round about that time, because um, I actually took a look at the, the footage, but they've released it again, or let it slip again. Um, the only thing when I first saw the footage, it's it's impressive you know you can see the it's it's the view that the pilot sees through his screen you got his hood up display which shows his altitude his speed everything you know what what the camera's been shown in infrared or whatever it's actually you know going through the process of but the only thing that alarmed me and I've said it for a while now and I think I don't think anybody else has actually said mentioned it or brought it up 
But if you can actually look at the screen down the right-hand side, you can see the word slave, and it's wrote down. Now, in military terms, that's another word for drone. So that was one little alarm bell for me. And I, I'm not taking anything away from To The Stars Academy. You know, I believe they are doing a, a really good job in what they're doing. It's probably a, the only way you can do it to the, the mainstream media on the drip feed effect. Um, you know, and uh, I think they've got another, was it 19 videos in total that they're going to re release over time? Apparently, um, yeah. Yeah, it, this is it. You know, it, it seems very staggered. They did the three videos and then it, it seemed to just stop, didn't it? Um, so there are little things that just niggle me slightly, but, you know, I, I don't want it to be taken away that they're doing it. They're not doing a good job because they are, they're, you know, it, it's, it's the way forward. They've done so much more in such a short space of time that, people in ufology have been trying to do for such a long time for many years um and they seem to have achieved it quite quickly and you know and i'm sure they can go further with it yeah it's definitely taken the conversation forward and i'm i'm never going to hide the fact i'm a bit of a two of the stars fanboy uh tom DeLong's a very interesting character Tavin kind of followed his music growing up, not hugely closely, but it was kind of part of, part of the soundtrack to my teenage years. I can appreciate where he's came from and what he's trying to do, and that while he's put this together, there's also an element of him, his status, holding it back slightly, that he's still that figure of fun, but he's also got a, a whole other audience interested in this topic that maybe wouldn't have been there before. And that's where him stepping back and letting a Louise Elizondo or a Chris Mellon or a Hal Putov get involved in the conversation that weren't previously uh, weren't previously in that mainstream in that respect really lets this move forward. And like you say, I, th I think there are a few aspects to this that don't sit well with people, um, such as the sharehold, uh, the the whole share issue. Again, the monetizing of it, the looking at different avenues to get these stories out there doesn't sit well with some. But I think that's just ufology in general. There's always going to be an aspect to a story. You look at a Bob Lazar. There's a fascinating story there, and I, I, I really believe there's a lot of a lot of truth to it. But there's aspects of it that don't quite add up. But again, with these things, is it ever is it ever going to be 100% true? That's something, as you've said yourself, people have to kind of look for, don't they? Yeah, yeah, I do, and and I also think, um, I mean, I'm sure most people that actually listen to this show, you know are on the same wave on the same wavelength that you know with especially with trump especially they've just released the um the space force so you've got the you know the sixth um force in the in the military you've got the army uh the marine corps the navy the air force and the coast guard and this is obviously the sixth being the space force um and there are, again i think it's this week i had a friend in the states who sent me the image where um, you had President Trump talking about it, and in the background they've got the Space Force flag being waved, mm -hmm. um, and it looks identical to the insignia of Star Trek, if you've noticed the, yeah. the actual badge. So, yeah, it, you know, and, and again with this side, th there's always been a space fleet up there. There's always been that secret covert 
next step through NASA, etc. You know, the the one step. And then you've got to look at Gary McKinnon, you know, the UK hacker course, years yeah. ago. He he was probably one of the first guys who actually came forward, you know, and hacked into the, you know, the NASA computers and found the 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 logs of the space force pilots and staff and crew um and got himself into a lot of trouble for it but uh, we really do have to thank gary for what he did because you know he enlightened a lot of people yeah i don't know if you noticed as well on one of the pictures it's more of a, a humorous coincidence i'm sure but the conspiracy theorists i believe are loving it when they're unfurling the flag because the whole banner says United States Space yeah. Force, it says UFO because the U from United's. Yeah, so it's a I, nice little happenstance. I don't believe in coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think that's been put there deliberately? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to. Th- I'd like to think so. Um, what What's the most you, you've you've given us a little bit of insight into those videos? You, you've told us, and it, it's absolutely fair to call out. There's something on there that potentially highlights that something in the video, or something filming the video, or an aspect is potentially a drone, which is absolutely fair, and that's a really good point to, to point out. If anyone's got anything to come back on with that, absolutely give us a shout on Twitter and, and tag Jason in that as well. Is there any really intriguing aspect to the videos that you do find particularly fascinating? Well, the the intriguing thing is is obviously the video itself. You know, the object, the maneuverability of the object, um, the way the pilots are reacting to the object. You know, they're obviously taken back and they're flying state-of-the-art aircraft, you know, that are available to them. Uh, and they're taken back by the, you know, the way this object can move around and, and the speed and into the, you know, it's doing it directly into a, you know, a wind, an on wind that's blowing in. And, you know, there's a lot of factors to take in. You know, you, you, you've, you've got to look at it from the military, the military side or the pilot side, because, you know, they're hollering and, you know, because they're getting excited about what they're seeing you wouldn't get excited if it's something mundane or another aircraft. It'd be just probably an interception of some kind. But then again, like they said at the To the Stars Academy, it wasn't just one air, one object they were seeing. They were saying there was a fleet of them there. You know, it's a shame we can't see more. And again, mm-hmm. again with the footage, we we only see the grainy really bad footage that is actually released when i know damn well that there is actually you know high definition quality footage out there so why are they releasing the really bad stuff you know in quality when they can release the really good stuff and then you know it's got a bit more sort of um kick to the story should you know if you want to put it that way yeah, and maybe that's one of those next 19 videos that there's duplicates, but a higher quality or a, a bit longer. And I think that's something that we're, we're all kind of hoping for. What I want to, uh, to do is, uh, before we finish up, is do a bit of a word association with you. I've got a few um, topics or headlines to read you out. And I just wanted either one word or a few words or a few sentences on, on each of those, if you don't mind, um, yeah, Jason. Sure. Okay. Um, a quick quote to kind of finish up summarising the books and your thoughts. Um, you started your first book with a quote of Arthur C. Clarke, which reads, two possibilities exist. 
either we are alone in the universe or we are not. Both are equally terrifying. Where do you sit now with that quote? Probably still, st- yeah, still stand by that because you know um, Arthur C. Clarke, who who actually came out with that quote, it is terrifying. But then it's terrifying to you know people do have good interactions with ETs and people have bad interactions, just like human beings on Earth that are good and bad, and I'm sure there are good and bad extraterrestrials um it's you know it's an adventure humans are explorers we're explorers we we need to know the unknown and we like to delve and dig and and we don't like being lied to either you know which we probably are by governments and authorities above and we'd like to know why things are being held from everybody no one likes to be lied to and we all need to know. And I suppose that's where it goes. You know, it's the unknown that we don't know, which we're probably going to know soon enough. Yeah. And do you know what I, I would change in that quote? And I think it's just to bring it up to 2020 is rather than uh, being alone in the universe, are we alone in this universe? Because that's yeah. something that's a potential as well. Not that that yeah. still wouldn't be terrifying, terrifying given the size of it, but I think there's a lot of possibilities out there like multidimensional, multi-universe um, theories and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, so a bit of a word association for you. Some of the things you've mentioned within the conversation, um, again, to summarise, or just your thoughts. And if you have no thoughts on them, we can move on. So your first one um, is the term UFO. It's slightly... Um undermined what it actually means um people nowadays when you hear uh, that phrase those three letters ufo it's it's wrongly thought of people automatically assume that it's extraterrestrial in origin or nature and it's not ufo is what it actually means unidentified flying object you know, until you identify what that object is, it is always going to be un- unidentified, but it's not always extraterrestrial. Absolutely. And following on from that slightly, I don't know if you've seen in the last week the Magi UFO hashtag that's been trending with the incident that's happened potentially in Brazil. Yeah, um, I'm still researching into that one. Again, th- there's not an awful lot of information out there. Um, until I've actually got more information on it, um, I would probably not comment much on it because whether you know you can actually believe it or not believe it, um, I like to get more facts before I actually say more on that one. Absolutely. Um, just as a bit of a heads up, what one of the, the guys on Twitter, I don't know if you follow Arthur Iglesias, um, he's a Brazilian native who lives in Liverpool, like yourself, or where you're from, funnily enough. Um, wow. He's been doing a lot of retweets of the videos and really, really kindly has been doing some translating of the language and just what's being said. So if you're doing some research on that, that's something I, I looked into quite a lot and he might be worth kind of following on Twitter and getting in touch. Uh, I done a yeah. bit of a 10-minute roundup show last night on it. Again, th- there isn't really enough to go with what has happened. It looks like something has definitely gone on, but... Mm what is very, very difficult to pinpoint with kind of what's out there. Um, Nick Pope? Yeah, well, Nick actually came out the day after uh, the sighting at REF Cosford, 
um, and I know Nick quite well. Um, you know, spoken to him numerous occasions, and he's kindly wrote a nice piece in the in the the first book UFO photo on the aftermath of what he went through through the uh, March 1993 RAF Cosford incident. Nick's a, a fascinating character for for anyone in the US. He's he's pretty well known overseas now with his appearances on a lot of TV shows. Um, Nick's someone I'd love to speak to on the show down the line. I attended a lecture in Berwick of his in 2014 that he put together. Um, I believe a bit last minute he was coming over to visit and it was really well attended and you could listen to him talk all night. He's he's fascinating in what he mm. says. Um, what's your thoughts on Project Blue Book? That's something that's discussed especially in book two. Yeah, that's uh, Heineck, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. uh, going through, he obviously had the the different uh, projects at the time. Um, Doctor uh, Alan Heineck, um, the astronomer, and um, he again Project Blue Book was the the last of three books. Obviously, the first book was Project Sign, which was 1947. Then 1949, you had Project Grudge and Project Blue Book was really uh, Dr. Heineck was brought into play to uh, debunk UFOs on behalf of the uh, US government. Um, And he actually did a turncoat and actually um, uh, believed in what he was actually researching and and analysing. And uh, he went on, obviously, to... um, write books and even had a cameo role in the um close encounters of the third kind the steven spielberg movie so you know and again there's the new tv show which i i quite like yeah, things are, are different to what are in the book and stuff but it is tv drama but i think it was done really well i advise anyone to watch that you know and it, it goes into really how he got into uh, project blue book uh, and I will second that. I thought the the TV series was excellent. It was a uh, very X Files in nature, but with as you say, it's got the Hollywood touch. But the storylines were good, and to bring in so many real cases and have that woven throughout, I think was was what was needed for that type of audience. Unfortunately, the History Channel in the US haven't greenlit a second series because they are moving in a different direction, and it's currently on hiatus as it looks for a new home. So there is a mm. petition online if anyone wants to go and get that signed to get it moved. But in the UK, it was on Sci-Fi, and yeah, I thought it was fantastic as well. And uh, the last one I'd like to get your thoughts on is a, a sighting from, from 1997, I believe, if I get the year correct. Um, and I wonder if you've done any research on it, but it's, it's one of my, my favourite topics in ufology is the Phoenix Lights incident. Um, yeah, I actually had a look at the, the images. Um, there was somebody else. I, I, I can't for the top of my top of my head. I can't actually remember his name, but he actually had a sighting at the time as well of a similar v-shaped uh, craft i mean this one at phoenix lights was a huge craft and people could just see the lights in a v-shape that appeared and i think there was twenty thousand people saw this you know actual view um of this object over over the nighttime sky it was tried tried to be debunked saying it was aircraft flares and all the usual types of things um, but another good thing in relation to that case, recently on the one show here in the UK, um, uh, Kurt Russell was a guest on the show 
Um, I, I think saw this, yeah. Yeah, it was the time he was, de- he was de- his new film, wasn't it? Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. That, yeah, I on. believe so, yeah. Um, and he was sat there, and they, they brought up... I think it was quite... It was sort of planned in a way, the more I read into it. Anyway, he was sat there... The, the one of the presenters next to him actually went on about the Phoenix light. He brought it up um, in in the conversation. Um, and long story short, there was a civilian pilot that actually witnessed the, the Phoenix light as he was coming into land uh, at the airport there, the local airport. Um, obviously a different view to the people on the ground saw. Um, he just saw the lights on a horizontal rather than looking up at them from the ground. Anyway, um, as it was being mentioned on the show, he he said he, he sort of perked up in the conversation and said, "Yeah, I was that um, I was that pilot who saw the the Phoenix lights." Um, and he, he, long story short, again, he said he was sat home with his wife uh, as a Goldie Goldie Horn. Um, and they were watching the UFO show. Um, he said he'd completely forgotten about it. And it came up in in the conversation with, with Goldie when they were talking about the UFOs, etc. Um, and she said to him, weren't you taking one of our um, children to, uh, you know, whatever it was, fly them into the airport, you know, at the time? Um, and he said, yeah. And he said, we saw it. We landed refueled and then came home so you know a bit of synchronicity there you know the way it all linked up and everything but yeah with the phoenix light it it sort of gave another um uh, backbone to the the story if you know what i mean another um step up and you said yourself there's no such thing as a coincidence so if that's another potential drip feeding back into mainstream media that's we're all for that that's it yeah yeah so Listen, Jason, just to wrap up, really thank you very much for your time this evening. I really appreciate it. Um, What's coming next for Jason Gleaves in ufology? Is there any books coming up? Are you focusing on the YouTube channel or or what's coming for you? Yeah, um, I'm going to be working on a new book with um, Peter Slattery in Australia with all the sightings he's had and encounters. We're going to do the analysis, in-depth analysis, and then I'm going to actually, you know, go through the different stories. Um, I've done a couple of documentaries. They're all free on my YouTube channel if any, anybody wants to watch them. And I'm currently uh, just waiting on the footage um, for the new documentary I'm going to be doing on um, the Kinsella brothers, uh, Philip and Ronald Kinsella. Um, so I'll be doing an actual documentary on them and I'm going to be moving on and doing hopefully on more people in ufology I'm going to be going through their life story and I've already done uh, Peter Slattery obviously I'm going to be doing James Gilliland I've done Tony Topping and, and like I said they're already there on my um, UF only YouTube channel and they're all free to watch so knock yourselves out Brilliant. And that's that YouTube channel you've mentioned is UF Only. That's U-F-O-N-L-Y. And you can also be found on Facebook at UF Only as well. And on Twitter at Jason UF Only. That's so it, uh, yeah. I definitely recommend Jason's books, UFO Photo and the Ufology Umbrella. I've got mine off Amazon. They are available on Kindle versions as well. But yeah, definitely go out and buy those. But Jason, I'll just say thank you very much for your time this evening. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks very much.
that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto youtube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast to access the shows ad free as well please get in touch on twitter facebook instagram that ufo podcast of course on twitter it's at ufo uapam and again folks as always keep looking up you never know what you might see it wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer more like a hubcap designed by chelsea a little baroque and quite steampunk like alice was playing bass for the parliament of the little fucker hovered right outside of my window and when i shut out the screen he made it an issue i don't think he expected me to see his ass but i'd had some champagne and smoked a Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. And I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was red. I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And I think I should see because it doesn't really scare me.